No, God's good to us. He's going to be with us. Um, Pastor Mike signaled us Thursday that he was really hurting. Um, I started praying, and, and I felt like God put Hebrews 12 on my heart, and so I began studying. And, and so yesterday when he signaled Aaron and I that he was not going to be able to preach um, all three of us were praying and trusting God, and so apparently you get to spend time in Hebrews chapter 12 today, and it's, it's exciting. So go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 13, <laughs> because that's where we've got to start. Pastor Mike has uh, been faithful to preach as God's put on his heart about unity and what it looks like for us and, and what it needs to be. Because unity on any scale for any organization is difficult and really impossible. But for the body of Christ, apart from Christ, it's impossible. But with Christ, it's not only something that's attainable, but it is something that is honorable and blesses God. It's what Christ prayed for, for us, this unity. And so... When we look at our theme verses in the passage and, and we look at what that looks like, it's good to have you know, some models out there that we can kind of get a flavor of it. You find definitely one in Ephesians chapter 5, and you certainly are going to find one in Hebrews chapter 13. I'll read the first seven verses and then we'll pray and we'll, we'll look, okay? So here's, here's what the body of Christ should look like. Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them, and those who are mistreated, since you also are in the body. Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what man can do to me or what can man do to me. And then verse 7, remember your leaders and those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Uh, The more I spend time with you as you speak from your word, the more I am just amazed that you would even tell us things uh, in detail like you do. That you would clue us into your plans and your, your desires. And you would show us how you work in our lives and what you want to do. That's that's amazing to me, God. And the fact that you've kept it intact and available and translated uh, and uncorrupted in, in so many languages for these thousands of years so that we could actually hear from you what you had to say to us, what you still say to us. That's marvelous. God, that brings me to my knees. And so 
in wonder, learn gratitude for how much you care for your people. So Lord, help us to live according to your word. Teach us from it today. God, as we, as we come through these verses, instruct us for our particular lives. Help us to pay attention, God. Help us to worship you. Help us to become the people you called us to be, that you are making us to be. And we pray this in your son Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so that's a snapshot of, of, uh, of what the body of Christ is supposed to look like. Those kind of things. And as we look at it, we can already see the things that, oh man, they're tough for us. In fact, probably the most blatant sin in there that we're guilty of, and we all know it, is lack of contentedness. We're just not content with what God provides. And so we struggle with that. Well, how do we get there? Well, that's what chapter... 12 is about. But notice he ends verse 7 with talking about consider the outcome of their way of life. Those who've gone before you or your leaders as they've walked in faith. Consider their outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith which points directly back to chapter 11 where you have this great list and an account of the hall of fame of those who've walked with Christ in faith. And so I encourage you to go back and read chapter 11. Not right now while I'm preaching. Just wait maybe a little bit. All right. But go back and read through that and review it and see how God has looked at people who've said, I trust you, God. And he looks and responds to that and says, you ain't seen nothing yet. Hang on because we're going to go places. We're going to do things. Mostly you're going to find my favor and my love. What an amazing thing. But in between chapter 11 and chapter 13 is chapter 12. I know. I'm not great at math, but I got that one right. Right? And chapter 12 is going to give us this picture of, okay, this is what we've seen, and this is where we're supposed to be. How do we get there? And so that's what chapter 12 is, is going to give us this idea of how do you, how do I help us get there to where we ought to be, where we can be in one of these snapshots of what the church that's unified and obedient and humble and serving and spectacular in God's glory, what, what that looks like. So how do we get there? How do you, how do I help us get there. And so let's look in chapter 12. We'll look at the first two verses. It says, based upon all of these people that you've looked at that have walked in faith and God has counted that as righteousness to them, he says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of faith, of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. I I really honestly would like to camp out about two or three weeks just in those two verses. All right, so uh, we'll order pizza and we'll have it brought in and so... 
No, we're not going to do that, but I would love to so much. There's so much there. But honestly, today, what we're going to do is we're going to skip over the tops of some, some of the waves in this sea of, of how do we live in faith? How do we do that? But there's so much there. And it begins with this idea of, of we're surrounded with these witnesses, with these encouragers so let's do some things. And there's four things I want us to pull out of this whole chapter as we look at. Four things that we have responsibility for to help us get to where we ought to be. And the first thing, one that I want to point out here is that we've got to put away the things that keep us from following Christ and from walking in unity with each other and from being obedient and and loving and to, to our Lord and to each other. And, and so we've got to put some of those things away. Jesus talks about this when he talks about, I'm the vine, you're the branches. And whoever bears fruit, I'll prune him so he can produce more fruit, bear more fruit. There's that idea. He talks about in the sermon, hey, if it's your eye that offends you, do what? Right, get glasses. No. If your eye causes you to sin, Pluck it out, all right? Well, it's not your eye that causes you to sin. It's your heart. James talks about our desires that are within us. They're, they bring us into this temptation, and then we give in, and we sin, and sin brings death, right? So it's not our eye. And Jesus also said, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. But it's not your hand. It is your heart. And so here... The writer of Hebrews is saying, look, whatever is causing you not to endure and win the race, get rid of it. Get rid of it. Put it away. It's, it's a strong word, and it means significantly much. I don't know if any of you ever had the pleasure of watching Connor Etzel Miller run whenever he was running in high school. It was a beautiful thing. It was a scary thing. I, I don't like to run, but I'm glad he did. Right? And this word for race in verse 1, where we run with endurance, the race that is set before us is the word agona, which gives then our word agony or agonize. And it's this, this hard, long effort agonize through it, all right? That's that picture. And that's the way Connor would run. I watched him in a particular race where uh, he had his nemesis running with him. And this is a big kid. And he just constantly elbowed Connor and was really trying to move him out of his lane on this long race and just, just gave Connor fits. And I was watching this, watching this round and around and Connor endured and fought off the guy and eventually shed him and went on to victory. It was an amazing thing. That's what he's talking about here is that kind of let's get rid of what's keeping us from running and whatever it is. All right. I don't like to run, but I do like to ski. But I still have some things that inhibit me when I ski. I like to ski through the moguls. I like to ski fast. I like to ski through the trees. And so I always have to have a ski pass. It's kind of like this thing here on a lanyard around me. But when I ski, particularly when I'm skiing fast, 
I'll get a lot of this because the wind picks it up and just does that. Or if I'm skiing through the trees, so I have to constantly stop and tuck that thing back in my coat. But we live in Wyoming, right? And so there's always wind. And so it comes back out and it hits me and it annoys me. It distracts me. And it can even cause me not to ski well, among other things. And so I have been known to pull it off. In fact, at the, the lift, show my tag and discard it so I can ski. Because it's going to be there at the lift when I come back down there again. Especially if I throw it at the lift top, who happens to have any integrity at all. But it's so I can pick it up again. And I'm telling you so many times we do the same thing. We will get rid of whatever's keeping us from following Christ and we'll lay it down. But it's right there. He says even that the sin clings so closely. It's right there. That is not the word he uses here. He uses this word in the Greek that says, put it away. Take it away from you. Get rid of it's instead of that, it's you need to use one of these devices. They make them, they come in all kinds of sizes. They're very helpful. This is what we should do with the things that God prunes from us, not necessarily bad things. The things that inhibit us from following Christ and from running that race. Wow, this was clean this morning, so that but somebody has contributed some other trash. They took the sermon sermon seriously. So whoever you are, way to go, man. All right, we're in this together. But we need to discard what keeps us from following Christ. And we need to take it away. That's the picture of what he's calling for us here to do. Remember in Ephesians 4, verse 22, last week, Pastor Mike brought this verse to our mind and put it right out there for us. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. It's the same word, put away, take away, literally. And that's what we need to do with the things that hinder us from following Christ. Let me ask, how many of you have given up Facebook? All right, quite a few hands, all right? Because it can distract you from following Christ. It doesn't for everybody. But listen, some of you need to give up Facebook and social media because for you it is trapping you and tripping you and keeping from follow, keeping you from following Christ. I don't know what it is. For some of you it may be a television show or uh, an activity or a relationship. You need to pay attention to what God is pruning from your life and whatever keeps you from following Christ, particularly if it is sin. You need to get rid of it. You need to send it away, put it away. The second thing that we see as we read from verse 3 through 11 is to consider. He says, consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you've not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? 
My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves, and he chastises every son whom he receives. It's for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you're left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you're illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we've had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time. It didn't always seem like a short time, did it? For a short time, as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good, that we may share in his holiness. Man, for the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. That seems like an understatement as well, right? But later it yields, check this out, the peaceful or peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who've been trained by it. What an amazing passage. So he tells us, first of all, to put those things away that keep us from following Christ, from from becoming unified in the body of Christ. Put, put it away. But here he tells us, let's, let's think it through. Put it away. Now think it through. And start with considering him. Considering Christ. Pay attention to him. Read the gospels and, and really read to pay attention to, to what you see that Christ did and said and felt and demonstrated. So pay attention. Consider Jesus. That's hard for us. So many of our decisions we make with the thought of considering other people. What is my boss going to think? What is my wife or my husband going to think? What are my children going to think? What are my neighbors going to think? What, how is this going to affect the people around me? How is this going to play out for the people I care about or for the people who judge me? Or, and we take a lot of consideration of the people around us and we make a lot of decisions on those on those levels and that's not right we need to consider Jesus or worse we spend a lot of time thinking about what well, how does this affect me what's how's this going to make me look what 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 do I get out of this or what am I going to have to pay what are the sacrifices ahead for me on this And we get really concerned about ourselves because we consider ourselves. But we need to consider Jesus. We really need to consider him. God, is this what you want? God, does this please you? God, I really have this need or this desire, but what is it you are doing? What do you see here? Consider Jesus. And then he leads us from that. The reason is because you haven't yet resisted the shedding of blood and you're going through discipline. How many of you love discipline? Yay! All right. Well, that's because immediately your mind jumps to the corrective discipline, you know? I'm in trouble. And we forget that there really are three kinds of discipline and they're all for our good. All right, so let's look at them. The first one, obviously, is corrective. That's 
oh no, God's going to beat me again because or he's, I'm going through this misery because of something I did, something I said, something I thought, or just because I'm this bad specimen of humanity. You know, we come across with this idea that God punishes us for everything. Well, that is a form of discipline. He wants to correct us. And when we sin, he wants to drive us away from that sin. He wants us to learn it's painful to sin. The consequences are painful. And so he provides that discipline. And it is painful. But all we have to do is repent. So then there would be no more discipline, right? Wrong. Because there's the second form of discipline, and that's preparative. That's where God prepares us for what he is going to do. All right? Um, So if you've ever been in athletics, uh, you understand you have to get in condition. You have to learn skills. I was talking with one of the girls on the girls' basketball team in uh, Christian High School here in town, and she said, all we ever do is conditioning. (laughs) I was going, well... Okay, that's good. That's really good. Because God does that in our lives and he gets us prepared for what he's going to do, for what we're going to be involved in. And so some of that discipline is preparative, but it's also painful. It's not because God hates us. It's not because God's a mean God. He's not. He is saying, oh, I love you, child, and we're going to do this, but to do that, I've got to get you ready. And so he prepares us. But there's a third kind of discipline. And that's that maintenance discipline. A discipline of maintenance. You're already in shape. You've already learned skills. And so he says to us, this is still painful because we still have to do this because you still have to be doing what I'm calling you to do. You do this in a job. You still do skills and and maintain a discipline of things that aren't necessarily important on the job right then. But you need to maintain that level of ability so so you can continue on. And God brings that discipline in our life. And he says to you in verse 7, it's for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? It's a mark that he shows us our relationship with him is intact. He keeps us in discipline, right? But it's it's really about your heart. Verse 10, he says, in talking about these earthly fathers we've had, he said, you know, they discipline as they seem best, but God disciplines us for our good. He's concerned about our hearts. And we cannot be in unity in the body of Christ If our hearts are not right with him. Because they'll never be right with each other. If they're not right with him. So he disciplines us knowing it's a better heart. But then he also brings these results. So consider Jesus. Think it through. Consider that he disciplines us. Consider that it's really about our hearts. Not our performance. Not our words. All of that's involved. But it's about our heart. Those things come out of our hearts. And the results are so important. Verse 10 and 11. They disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness. 
I don't understand that. I don't understand holiness. I can't understand and fathom and wrap my mind around a God of holiness. So how can I get into the understanding that he wants to share that with me? I know me. You know you. But God says to us, be holy as I am holy. Wants us to share in that. Verse 11. For the moment all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later it yields the peaceful or peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who've been trained by it. That's what he's wanting to do. Paul put it this way in Romans 8. He he is wanting to conform us to the image of his only son. Man, what a powerful thing. He wants us to look like Jesus. Wouldn't that be just an amazing thing if you're walking out of the door of a place that you've been and you hear whispers behind you? Are that, is that Jesus? Because Christ lived in you so obviously that that's who they saw instead of you? Man, that's what God wants to do in his church. It's what he wants to do in his His church, his kingdom over all the world, he wants to do it in his local church here in Casper. He wants to do it in this part of the local church called College Heights. He wants us to be so marked by him living in us that people go, "Are are you Jesus? Only he can do that. All right, so the next few verses, 12 through 17, Really admonish us to get at it. All right? So we've got to put it away. We've got to think it through. And we need to get at it. Notice all the active verbs I'm about to read. Listen. Verse 12. Therefore, lift your drooping hands. Strengthen your weak knees. And make straight paths for your feet. So that what is lame may not be put out of joint. But rather be healed. Strive or pursue peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble and by it many become defiled or stained, that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau who sold his birthright for a single meal. You know that afterwards, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. Listen, there's so much active effort here in this passage. We need to get at it. There's so much to do. I mean, he says, strengthen your weak knees, all right? After lifting your drooping hands, He makes straight paths. And that's an interesting word because it's really this, it's attached to ruts that a wheel would go through. And he's he's saying, make this straight and level so that you can walk it without, notice, so that the, the, what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Make your life direction what it needs to be. Trust in the Lord with 
all your heart, lean not on your own understanding, in all your ways acknowledge him and he'll do what? He'll make your paths level. Make your paths straight. That's the, that's the idea. So additionally, get rid of everything that's keeping you. Now set your path. Walk that. And notice that instead of knocking yourself out of joint, he says rather you'd be healed. And that, that's an interesting Greek word, that word for healed, because it, it brings into it, this is a God-type healing. This isn't... Uh, lest we think that, okay, so now I've got to rehab myself and I've got to make the path right and I've got to do it right so that, so that I heal myself. No, this is really a supernatural word. It's calling for God's healing. But if you will walk in the right path with God, he will do the work to heal you. That's also brought in to, to bear with all of these words of active effort like verse 14 strive for peace or pursue aggressively peace with everyone those kind of things all of that really is done by the work of the holy spirit living in you you've died to your sin you are dead to that old man in christ and so as paul says in romans 8 the the same spirit that raised Christ Jesus from the dead will give life to your mortal bodies also so that we can live in him. Paul said it this way, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. In this life, I now live in the flesh. I live by trust, faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. A verse I've really been meditating on lately. I'd like for you to go there. Colossians chapter 1. It's the last verse in the chapter. Verse 29. It's an amazing verse. Colossians 1 29. This is what Paul writes to this church that he loves. He says, for this I toil. That's a strong effort word. Struggling, another strong effort, active word. For this I toil, struggling. Here's what gets me. With all his energy that he powerfully works in me. I I don't understand. I I gotta work hard with God's energy and power. That's amazing, right? That's, I mean, I, I can drive my truck, which means I turn the wheel and I step on the little pedal here. You know how much effort that takes for me? Not much. But guess what? That truck moves down the road and it turns and it stops based on what? The power that the truck has. I'm going to reverse that a little bit, a lot actually. But what God gives us to do with all the effort and all the struggle and all the toil that we can muster is far more powerful than all our toil and effort and struggle. He's doing great things. And we do those things that seem so hard that really are not that hard by sending away thinking it through and getting at it and he does the work what an amazing thing 
That sounds like a good deal, right? Let's all jump in on it. And so we do those things and they're all about the stuff that we have to do. But this last one, the fourth one, isn't about things. You know, the put it away, the think it through, the get at it. Fourth one is about a person, about the person of God. I want you to look at this with me. Verses 18 to the end of the chapter. It says, you haven't come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them. They couldn't endure the order that was given. Even if a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. What's he talking about? Back in Exodus chapter 19, God came and met Moses and the people at the mountain and he shook the mountain and there were thunder and lightning and his voice and and this prohibition, this is a holy place because I'm here. And they were all scared to death. But that, that fear that they endured there did not keep them from sin. Let's read on. He says, but you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel, See that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, how much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven? At that time his voice shook the earth. But now he has promised yet once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase yet once more indicates the removal of things that are shaken. That is, the things that have been made, in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Listen, to get where we ought to be requires that we worship Him. That's the picture here. And, and you might be saying, but that's why we're here, Max. We came and we sang the songs, we prayed the prayers, we even gave money, and we're now listening to you preach, so this is worship, right? Well, no. Not necessarily. Those are some tools. But that doesn't make it worship. There's some deeper components. And as much as I would like to spend a week just walking through this with you, I can't. And you need to spend some time here. You need to go back and read what was happening on the mountain. And you need to read all these references that he's making here to where we are in Christ and what he has brought us to. But let me give you some, well, four components of what real worship ought to be that brings us to this unity. Number one is fear. That's obvious. Fear. Just raw fear of God. Holy, huge God. The one big enough 
to create a universe, the one knowledgeable enough to know every particle within the universe, to know you and me. Listen, we have to fear him. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That's where we begin worship too. It's wise to worship God. And we understand who he is. We understand who we are. But then listen. Verse 25. See that you do not refuse him who's speaking. At the mountain they were scared to death. They couldn't even hear. And we do that a lot of times with God. When God speaks in in different ways. A lot of times we do the I can't hear you. I can't hear you. I can't hear you. Or a lot of times we're so scared of God, we don't let him actually speak to us and we don't listen and we're just going, ah, 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 ah. You ever been around somebody who's so scared that you can't talk to them? Happens every time I come home and Lynn's there, right? No, but that's the way we approach God sometimes. Ah, ah, I'm afraid to hear, I'm afraid to hear. Stop, be still, know that he's God. Listen to his still, small voice. As he says to you, if you've believed him, I'm your, I'm your father. You're my child. Come out from among them. Let's go and do. So listen, he speaks so much through his word. If you would just sit down and listen. But then when you listen, you have to be like James says. You can't be like the guy who goes to the mirror in the morning and goes, oh, that's rough. And then walks away and goes to work and does nothing. We have to be those who hear God's word and do it. So we need to listen. We can't refuse him who's speaking. I mean, they went off from the mountain and they went into sin because they didn't listen. That's what will happen to us. But then I love verse, uh, that, that idea of obedience that we come to. So fear, listen, and obey. But I love verse 28. because It says, therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. It's permanent. Let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and all fear and trembling for our God is a consuming fire. This idea of gratitude, resting in him because he's done it all. The writer of this book, Hebrews, is the one who, who taught us all about who Jesus is and he is in fact our Sabbath, our rest. We come to him. Six days God created. And then on the seventh day he said get to work. No. Six days he created. And he said to us. I'm resting. You rest. Rest. Jesus said don't think that I came to. Abolish the law. And the prophets. You're not getting off easy. I'm not giving you a free pass. To do whatever you want. He said I didn't come to abolish them. But what? To fulfill them. To flesh it out. And he uses this word that he uses here in chapter 12 to complete. To bring it to completion. So that we can with gratitude 
Rest in him. Gratitude. My, that's a strong part of worship. So then, of course, he goes into chapter 13. So let brotherly love continue. Let it continue because it's going on if you're there. Let brotherly love continue. Don't neglect to show hospitality. In other words, that should already be going on. Don't, don't, don't neglect it. Remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them. Those who are mistreated because you're already in the body with them. Let marriage be held in honor because it already is. Let the marriage bed be undefiled. Verse 5, keep your life free from the love of money. So if we're already following Christ, those are the things that become our characteristics. And we understand this unity in the body because of the work that he does. Now, he's wanting to do work in your life. Submit to him. For some of you, you've never allowed him to be Lord. You've not yet submitted to him. And Today is the day that you get to say to him, God, I, I give up my life. I need you. I want you to save me and make me who you created me to become. That's called being saved. And we want you to do that. We're going to pray. Our uh, musicians are going to come. We're going to sing. Pastor Aaron and I will be standing here at the front. You come and pray with us if you need. Come kneel at the altar and pray. But let's, let's get about these things. And serve our Lord. Worship Him. Father, thank You for Your love for us. Thank You that we can have gratitude in a kingdom that will never be shaken. In a security forever with You. Just simply by letting You do that work in us. So Lord, help us to trust You. Lord, I pray that You would call those who have never trusted You to do so today. Save them. Make them brand new. And Lord, those of us who trusted You Please, Lord, help us. Help us to do what we're supposed to do so that you can work in us. And we pray it in your son Jesus' name. Amen.